Our gospel lesson comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. Let us hear the word of God. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, Not seven times, but I tell you seventy-seven times. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold together with his wife and children and all his possessions and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. Out of pity for him, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves, who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him by the throat, he said, Pay what you owe. Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. But he refused. Then he went and threw him into prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave, as I had mercy on you? And in anger his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he should pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister, from your heart. It's the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Loving God, we hear your words. We hear your call for us to forgive. May it challenge us as we go from this place once again. Amen. We're continuing on in our sermon series on the Lord's Prayer, coming toward the conclusion next week. My hope is that as we examine this prayer, you have found that it's brought meaning to these ancient words. We've gone through the prayer and we've reflected upon the beginning of the prayer as we communally address God and then move toward our desire to engage God's kingdom and God's will. We spoke last week about daily bread and having to understand that concept with different eyes in a society of overconsumption. Today may be one of the hardest parts of the Lord's Prayer for us. One they may ask the most of us on a day-to-day basis. And I think in many ways, you know, when we're saying this prayer out in the community, it can be the most awkward. And I say that because it's, it's funny to me that the part of the prayer, you know, we're, we're talking about forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. This part of the prayer that addresses how we should interact with each other and be forgiving is the part that's said differently in different traditions. You know, we say, forgive us our trespasses. Others say, forgive us our debts. And a a small minority of others also say, forgive us our sins. Now, if you are in, in mixed company, there's always that awkward moment where people are saying different things. And it kind of breaks the communal nature of the prayer, the, the unity of the prayer. It always seems awkward. 
Because it's the one part of the prayer that's really talking about how we should be in relationship with one another. I remember when I first came here, um, on Friday mornings, we had a very, very small prayer group. And it was Judy Crooks and Charles Reynolds and myself most Fridays. And every once in a while, someone would join us. Well, in, uh, in Judy's tradition, and, and, in, and Charles had had that experience younger, they said debts. And so in that small group, they would say debts. And I came in with my trespasses in the middle of it. And it just felt so strange that I began to do debts because, you know, there was something about being in unity as we say the prayer. You know, and I want to talk just briefly about these differences and what the traditions say, mainly just so that you can understand where it's coming from. You know, trespasses is an older English translation of um, the, the Matthew passage where we learn the Lord's Prayer. And so it's used by many Roman Catholics, Anglican, Methodist traditions, and others who branch from old English versions. Well, during the Reformation, scholars were looking at this and they found a better translation to be debts. And so a lot of the Reformed traditions, um, Presbyterians, but they may say debts. And then in the more modern ecumenical version of the prayer, the translation becomes sin because they consider that to be kind of a better understanding of what the word is trying to get at. And so these are kind of the nuanced differences that you'll hear, but I would say in any case, I'm not going to take time to get caught up in the differences. In fact, I think Jesus would have said, you know, all three of these words are probably okay to say, probably appropriate. Because the thing that Jesus is really noting in all of these is that forgiveness is in all of them. The ability to forgive in all things would be what Jesus is looking for. The prayer probably takes the most important turn at this point because it's no longer petitioning about God or asking, you know, give us this day our daily bread. And we're still at the beginning of that saying, give us, you know, forgive us. But then it turns and says, as we forgive those who trespass against us. It's kind of the only time in the Lord's Prayer where it overtly talks about how we are with one another. And Jesus is saying that life is, is more than just our relationship with God. You know, Tim mentioned last week when someone says they're spiritual but not religious. And in some ways when they're saying that, they mean that God and I are okay and that's all that matters. My inward spiritual life is good. But, but being a part of community is where we join on that intentional journey with others. And when they're saying this, they're saying, well, that's not my cup of tea. And I think Jesus is saying in this part of the prayer, it doesn't work like that. God doesn't simply care about our soul in relationship to God, but God cares about who we are in the world, how we function as a society, how we treat one another. God doesn't call us to live in a bubble, but to, to live with each other and do that in ways that are, are merciful and graceful. And that can be hard. You know, there are things that happen between people where we can't even dream that forgiveness is possible. If you look at the news, it seems like it's full of situations where we can't fathom reconciliation or forgiveness. A few weeks back in the sermon series, I was referencing uh, my summer reading when I was in high school. And, and as I was thinking about this, I, there's one of uh, a summer reading book that I had that had such an impact on me because of the, the power of the story. I can't remember what year it was, but we read The Hiding Place by Corey Ten Boom. This is a story about a time that to me was unimaginable. 
and a life that was even more so. Corrie ten Boom harbored Jews and refugees from the Nazis and ultimately ended up in a concentration camp. During that time, she lost both her father and her sister in the camps. And on a clerical error, she was released a little time before all the other women that she kind of was with were killed. I still can't imagine that time. And I always think of that time as kind of the apex of, of the worst that we could be to each other. Well, Corey Ten Boom, in her book, she tells a story of forgiveness that I want to share with you today. It says this. It was at a church in Munich that I saw him, the former SS man who had stood guard at the shower room door in the processing center at Ravensbrück. He was the first of our actual jailers that I had seen since that time. And suddenly it was all there. The room full of mocking men, the heaps of clothing, Betsy, her sister's pain, blanched face. He came up to me as the church was emptying, beaming and bowing. How grateful I am for this message, Fraulein, he said, to think that, as you say, he has washed away my sins. His hand was thrust out to shake mine, and I, who had preached so often to the people in Blumendahl on the need to forgive, kept my hand at my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed the silent prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give him your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, along my arm, and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him, while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And so I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on his. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives, along with the command, the love itself. What a powerful moment, powerful message. God's love and God's forgiveness were tangible and, and present to her because of the simple act of allowing herself to forgive. Not to forget the atrocities, not to say it was okay, but to give grace where grace was not necessarily deserved. To forgive even when every ounce of her did not want to forgive. It was God's presence and God's ability to forgive that in turn allowed her to forgive. You know, who we are and how we interact with people on an emotional level is directly connected to how God interacts with us. When I do a wedding, many times I note that we understand the kind of love we have for one another only with the lens of how God loves us and how we are called to love God. So Jesus teaches in the Lord's Prayer that we should be asking God for forgiveness in relationship with the way that we have forgiven others. And it's not the first time that Jesus says something like this, love your neighbor as yourself, and in so many parables. You know, the parable we heard today is probably the most straightforward of the parables about forgiveness and gracefulness. The king shows mercy on a slave who owes him a debt. He forgives the debt because the slave begged for mercy. And then that slave leaves the room runs into someone who owes him money, 
and demands the debt be paid, even when the person is asking for mercy. The king brings him back, takes away his initial forgiveness. You know, it's the idea that we expect and feel we deserve treatment that we aren't willing to give. We want the things we aren't necessarily ready to give out. In an early age, it kind of starts with the way we want someone to share with us. But when it's time to share with them, well, forget about it. (laughs) I'm watching that happen with my children now. This takes shape in other ways as we grow, but it's the same basic concept. The reality is, it isn't just how we act in one instance or another. That's not what Jesus is talking about. It's about living a life of mercy, grace, and forgiveness. I love the part of the scripture right before the parable we read. Peter asks, how often should I forgive if someone sins against me? Seven times? I think it's a great question. How often should I forgive? I should have asked that question growing up with my brother. You know, how many, seven? Would seven be good? Because I can do seven. Seven would have lasted me until we were about six and eight. And then I could have just been mad at him all the time. But he says, no, not seven, but 77. And the idea is Jesus is talking about a state of forgiveness that's more constant and present. It's a part of who we are. It expands to what we do. You know, the reality is I think forgiveness is easier for us to do when we do know someone well. When the act of trespassing or or sinning is minor in our eyes. Many of our moments of forgiveness are not like Corey Ten Boom's, but are about everyday types of things. Something that was said in a moment that was inappropriate. Hurt feelings. People being inconsiderate. These are most of the moments I think when we think about giving forgiveness that we imagine these everyday things. And in those moments, I think we have the ability to take into consideration uh, the history with the person or, or moments where trust was kept. And so we can go out on a limb and forgive. And so I think when we think about forgiveness, we think we do that pretty well. We're pretty good at that. The, the disciples were always quick to be merciful with those in the Gospels who they were comfortable with. But every time it came to a point where they interacted with anyone on the fringe... They'd be quick to judgment rather than be quick to extend forgiveness. And Jesus was always kind of reprimanding the disciples in these moments and would bless those people. Living a life of forgiveness means that we're quick to forgive. It doesn't matter who we encounter. We don't have to forget, but, but healing begins with the ability to forgive. You know, Maya Angelou has this great quote. She says, you can tell a lot about people by the way they treat three things. A rainy day, their luggage, and tangled Christmas tree lights. (laughs) Now, when she says this, it's kind of about people's attitudes or people's persona, but I just love that quote. You know, but I think about in relationship, I have a different three things that have more to do with that And it's about the way that we treat telemarketers, the way we treat the people who work at the DMV, the way we treat the tip after bad service at restaurant. Who are we, like the disciples, when we go out and interact with those people that we may not know well? 
What kind of attitude do we have towards one another when there's a disparity of power between us? Who are we when we don't want to be merciful? When we peel away the niceties of society and we begin to look into our hearts. Because as we speak this part of the Lord's Prayer, prejudice and racism and sexism and classism, they're all placed on the table as elements that hinder the true fulfillment of God's kingdom. I think about Corey Ten Boom's moment of forgiveness as a marker for the world of the healing power there is in being able to love and forgive. Even those who we believe owe us a debt that they may never be able to pay. Even those who have invaded our innocence and trespassed on who we are. Even those whose sin seems too much for us to see any good in them. For whether we can imagine the good in people, God sees it. And God seeks that good to reign over any sin or debt that may be present. Corey's sister Betsy, who she mentions, before she died, she said, There is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. There is no heartache so great that God's love cannot bring strength. There is no sin so great that God's love cannot overcome. Can we love as God has loved? Can we forgive as God forgives us? That is the plea that Jesus has given to us as we say the Lord's Prayer, and that, that, we sh- that should be our hope and our plea, that we may know God's mercy by the ways that God has given us the capacity to love our neighbor. May you go forth living a life of mercy and forgiveness in all that you do. In Christ Jesus. Amen.